0: Hey, thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Relevant Church. We are so thrilled and excited to see what God has planned for your life through this message. We know you're going to enjoy it. Sit back, relax. God bless. I love Thanksgiving. I have always loved Thanksgiving. As you can tell, I like to eat. Um, but more than that, it's always been like the official doorway to Christmas time. And I've always been a big fan of Christmas. I love to celebrate. Um, what God has done, sending his son for us. Excuse me. Um, And I know that Christmas, it always brings out a lot of mixed feelings for people. I've had my share of difficult Christmas seasons, some lonely times, some heartbreak seasons. And no matter where I'm at, at Christmas time, I always love being around children. And and there's just something that is just so palpable about the way that they anticipate and their excitement around Christmas. Excuse me. That, it, that it's very contagious. And I remember when I was a kid, I'll tell you, I would sleep through anything. 364 days out of the year, I would be asleep by eight. My mom would have to come in my room in the morning and, and wake me up in the morning. I'd sleep right through. Um, I would take two naps a day. I'd sleep all night long. And for them, it was a little concerning because my brother and I were both adopted, and he's two years older than me. So he comes along, never naps. He's always into stuff, he's always running around the house doesn't sleep through the night, and here I come, and my mom actually thought there was something wrong with me because I slept so much. So, you know, I don't like to talk about how old I am, but when I was a kid, the doctors were still making house calls. So they would, she calls the doctor, she says, Dr. Rigger, can you come? I think there's something wrong with Scott. So he comes over, he comes up to my room, he does his test, he checks things out, and uh, he, he comes back downstairs, and he looks at my mom, and he says, um, Arlene, you might want to sit down for this. And he looks at her and he says, here's the thing, you have an easy baby. <laughs> so it, it's been fun for me now that I have my own kids, it's fun to watch how excited they get at Christmas time. And it's always, it makes me laugh because like every morning they come out, or Christmas morning they come out and you know they come out and they see all of the, the presents under the tree that weren't there the night before. And their excitement turns into like they become Sherlock Holmes, right? It's not that this is, this is not enough evidence that Santa Claus came. They make a beeline for the cookie plate. And they look at the cookie plate, and, and my daughter grabs my son and she's like, Look, he ate some of our cookies. And I swear to you, one year, my daughter goes to her room, and she, gets, she comes back with this little black briefcase, and she sets it down on the ground, and she flips it open. She puts on, you know, latex exam gloves. She pulls out these tongs, stainless steel tongs, and some x-rays. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So she goes to the plate of cookies, and she takes the tongs, and she picks up one of the cookies that has a bite mark, and then she holds up this x-ray. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just examining the bite mark against Santa's dental records. (laughs) And I'm like, dental records? Where did you get dental records? She's like, I found them on the internet. (laughs) Always looking for evidence that Santa Claus has been there. I'm just grateful that at 6 o'clock in the morning they didn't ask to go out and see if the reindeer ate the carrots that he left for them. Always looking for evidence. And it's interesting to me, we're going to be in John 4 today. At the end of John 4... Jesus finds himself in a very similar situation. No matter what he's done, he turns the water to wine in Cana. He has this conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. He has this conversation in John 4 with the woman at the well. No matter what he does, we're always coming to him and asking him for evidence that he's alive and working in our lives. While you're flipping to John 4, let's pray real quick and then we'll dive into God's word. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you are a God that's involved in our lives. Thank you that you are a God that loves us. And thank you that you are a God that guides us through the challenges that come with life. We just pray, Lord, that you would quiet us before your word, that you would teach us, and that you would transform us today, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's interesting to me that Jesus has this conversation with this woman at the well. And as he's leaving there, we're in John 4.43 this morning, it says, After two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. The first time I read this, I immediately thought of Matthew 13, and there's this scene where Jesus is at the synagogue, and he's talking to people, and he recognizes that there is no belief there. So he refuses to do signs for them because he doesn't want them to be believing in the, for the wrong reasons. He wants them to understand that he is their Messiah, that he will save them, that God kept his promise to send him and not get caught up in all of the signs and the wonders. So it's interesting to me that Jesus or John notes that Jesus recognizes that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. But it's odd to me that the next thing he says is that when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. It's kind of weird to me. You know, you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh. And here we read this story about this man who's a royal official. He comes and he comes with a need that his child is, has a fever and that he's about to die. But the differences between these stories, I think, is what John wants us to pick up on. See, the difference between now and Cana is that at Cana, the celebration was about to end. I don't don't know if you've ever realized this, but God wants you to enjoy life. No matter what you have or, or where you are in life, God wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. It doesn't mean you have to be satisfied or content or strive for more. But God wants you to enjoy the life that he's given you. And when something happens along the way that the joy runs out, he wants you to be able to come to him and he wants to to fulfill you. The difference between then and now, though, is that this man, this man is desperate. If you read with me in verse 46, he came again to Canaan, Galilee, where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. See, there's an appropriate time to come to God when you're desperate. When it seems like you're just at the end of your rope, God wants you to be able to come to him and say, Help me. God wants to kind of have have the kind of relationship with you That you can come to him and expose your vulnerability. That you can say, if you don't do something, my son's going to die. And that's the difference between here, this visit to Cana, and that visit, is that they, they have to come together. God wants you to enjoy life, but he also wants to be able to remove the obstacles that you have to trusting him. And whether you've started out at a place where you were desperate and came to God, or whether you've been walking with God for years and you've come to that place again, God wants you to be able to come to him and trust him. It's interesting to me that Jesus has this response to this man that unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. The official said to him, Again, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, Your son will live. You know, Jesus just has this conversation with the woman at the well. And she's in a very different place. She comes to Jesus. She wasn't looking for him. She didn't realize that she had a spiritual need. And yet, here he is, and she bumps into him. You know, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And her response is, you know, you have no right talking to me. Your religion forbids you from having a conversation with me. And her, his response is, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for a drink. So she looks at him and she objects. How is that going to happen? You don't even have a bucket. The conversation that Jesus has right before that is with Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus' response, objection. How is that going to happen? Can't get all woomy again. (laughs) whatever that means. (laughs) But it's objection. Conversation with Nicodemus ends in objection. Conversation with the woman at the well ends in objection. This conversation is different because Jesus challenges this man's faith. If you don't see it with your eyes, if you hadn't seen me do the things in Jerusalem at the feast, you wouldn't be standing here today. And the man says... Again, come down. My son is going to die. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And here's the thing. Is that when Jesus is talking to the the woman, her response is to go back home and say, come, listen to this man who's told me everything that I've done. The, The contrast here is between hearing Jesus' words and seeing Jesus' actions. And responding in faith. Come hear what this man has told me. And to this man, Jesus says, go, your son is well. And what's his response? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And went on his way. Catch that, because it's huge. This man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I don't know if you remember uh, several months ago when Pastor Jonathan started John. But John, the Gospel of John starts with this epic declaration that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, that he was with God, that he was God, that he spoke everything into existence that you see. Word is huge for John, and, and here's proof. The man believed the Word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You know, we hear these stories. I I remember I was doing my internship at a church in New Jersey several years ago. Several years ago, not Chevrolet. My wife always makes fun of me for the way I pronounce my S's. But I remember hearing this story, and um, we went out to lunch one day, and we come back to the office, and my pastor friend is, is checking his messages. And he's listening to this voicemail, and you can see the complexion on his face. It just completely changes. And he gets very serious, and he hangs up the phone, and he looks at me, and he says, you know, this guy that just called was a guy that used to be a regular attender at this church. He used to come out every Sunday. He, he would be serving. He, he would be ushering. He would be welcoming people. He was on the worship team. And one day on the way to church, he had a horrible car accident, and he lost the use of his legs. And this man hasn't been to church since that day. And I've reached out to him, and he won't return my calls. I've gone to visit him, and his wife tells me that he doesn't want to see me. This man just called me. And he came down to the office later that afternoon, and we sat with him. And he looked at my pastor friend, and he said, you know what? I just can't believe a God who would do this to me while I was on my way to serve him. And... You know, my pastor friend, he's always he, he's very into the word and he always with something to say. And he just started crying. And he said, Look, I don't know how it, how it feels to walk in your shoes. I don't know what it must feel like to, to feel betrayed by God that He would do this to you while you were serving Him. But one thing I do know is that whatever challenges that you face, God doesn't need to show you that you can trust Him because He has said that you can trust Him, and He read this passage to him. Go, your son will live, and the man believed that the, the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Look, here's the first point today. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what your zip code is. It doesn't matter how many zeros are at the end of your paycheck. Jesus wants to come and heal what's broken in your life. You know, it's amazing to me, in John four we have these two conversations, the the woman at the well and this royal official. And they couldn't be at further ends of the spectrum. I mean, John four, this woman is, is, she's haggard, she's been rejected, she's been used up. She, nobody loves her, nobody wants her. And Jesus comes and interacts with her, and he makes an investment in her life. And he shares the gospel with her. And then here at the end of chapter 4, this man is a royal official. The language that you used suggests that this man works for the king. It's entirely possible that this was actually a Roman soldier that they sent to be Herod's assistant. But regardless, the idea is that like, if you go to the White House and you meet the Secretary of State, that's this guy. And Jesus doesn't look at him any differently than he looks at the used, haggard woman at the well. Because God loves everybody, and he wants to heal what's broken in your life. It doesn't matter where you came from or where you are. It doesn't matter the kind of mess that you stepped out of this morning. God wants to heal wherever is broken in your life. Point number two is this that sometimes it's important to recognize your need. There's these two stories in John 4. It's this woman at the well and it's this royal official. And you know the the difference between them is that this woman comes to the well she doesn't recognize what she needs but Jesus meets her there. And I often think, you know, how many times do we go to the well and try to get a fix of what it is we think will help us, what we think will heal us? You know, how many times do we turn on the computer and look at images because we can't fix a broken, and, and a broken marriage that has no intimacy? How many times do we look at things that God abhors because we don't feel like anybody loves us. That's this woman. How many times do we turn to chemicals or turn to other things to escape a life that is challenging, a job that continually just beats us down, a boss that berates us? How many times do we turn abusive to our spouse or our children because we can't cope with the realities of our life? And in those moments when we're not looking for it, those are the moments that Jesus is standing in the corner and looking at us and going, "What's up? Why are you looking for fulfillment in things that are going to take you further from God? Why are you looking for contentment in places that only that Jesus can sustain you and provide you? But the other side of the coin is this guy, this official." He comes to Jesus and he's desperate. He comes to Jesus and he's at the end of his rope. And it's completely different because he finds Jesus. And Jesus says to him, You know what? If you hadn't seen me do those miracles in in Jerusalem a couple weeks ago, would you be standing here right now? If you didn't know that I was capable of doing signs and wonders, would you have chased me down? Because the point that John wants you to get from this exchange is simply this. Is that when you come to Jesus in your hour of desperation, Jesus wants to help you, but sometimes he's gonna look at you and say, close your eyes first. Don't think about what I can do, what I'm capable of doing, what, I've, what you've seen me do. Don't look at the, the past. Don't look at your past and wonder, This is the only reason why I know he can affect my present. Don't look at what he's done in somebody else's life and allow that to be the only reason that you come to God. Come to God because his word says that you can trust him. Go and your son will live. Look, you can trust God at his word. He doesn't need to prove anything to you. Point three... Is that God does what he promises to do. And look, here's the thing I know that a lot of people say this. I'm sure that you've turned on the TV and that there's been some, uh, you know, sweaty, greasy looking guy with a cheap suit (laughs) telling you that, look, you know what? If you just send in your check, and, and you know what? Go ahead and leave it blank because we'll take care of that part for you. But if you do that, God promises to return it to you a hundredfold. That's not what God promises. God doesn't promise material blessing for spiritual reward and spiritual hard work. God doesn't promise that if you just trust him, everything's going to be easy. As long as I'm driving the rolls, God will take care of your civic. You know what I'm saying? God doesn't promise those things. But what does God promise? He promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. God promises that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God promises that if you're that person who, who slinks in the corner and just another, another time I let God down, that God will meet you where you're at. That God will come alongside of you and say, you know what? I have something that will, will make you never thirst again. If you just trust me, if you just let me walk with you. And God says, you know what? I know that you're desperate. I know that times are tough. That your son is on his deathbed. And you know, sometimes the story doesn't end the same way for us as it, is, as it does for this official. But the point is, not what God can do, but who God is. That God is trustworthy. Trustworthy. And he wants to trust you. Look, here's the deal. I, I don't honestly, I don't know what mess it is that you walked out of this morning to come here this morning. I don't know at what point the wine ran out at your celebration. I don't know when life stopped being joyful for you. I don't know what it is that's going on in your body that makes it difficult for you to get out of bed in the morning. And I don't know what it is that a doctor told you that has you living in fear today. And I might not be sitting next to you when you get the news from the doctor that none of us want to get. I don't know what obstacles you faced in your past or what you're facing today that has you demanding that God gives you a sign so that you can believe him. But I do know this. Two times in these few verses, John tells us that this is the second time that Jesus came to Cana, and this is the second miracle that he performed there. Now, he doesn't tell us this because he wants to show you that he knows how to count. It's not that he's a bad storyteller and he's trying to scramble to find his place. He tells us this because he wants you to know That the same Jesus who took water and turned it into wine so that the party could go on is the same Jesus who can come into your life and rejuvenate you and return the joy that you once had. This is the same Jesus who came into Cana and this man comes to him and says, Jesus, help me. My son is going to die. It's the same Jesus who wants to heal what's broken in your life. And I don't know what it is that has you at the point where you're just looking for hope. What it is that's obstructing your ability to trust God. But John wants you to know that this is the same Jesus Who took this man's request for a sign and turned it into faith? Whatever it is that is standing between you and God today, God wants you to stand before Him and close your eyes and listen to His voice. God wants you to stop coming to Him because I've seen what you can do for Him. God wants you to come to Him today. Because what he said, he did for you at the cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the way that you love us. And we recognize, God, that there's a thousand things that stand between us and you. We recognize that there are a thousand reasons to look to something else to satisfy and to fulfill and we recognize that all we need is Jesus we just pray Lord that wherever we are with you today that you would cause us to trust you to cause us to turn to you to cause us to walk with you more closely more faithfully not because of what we've seen but because of what you've said to us. We thank you for your love and your goodness, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information, visit relevant316.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We hope you have a wonderful day, and God bless.